What is the Black Lives Matter movement? Who are the founders of the movement? And should Christians be in support of it? And if you do not, does this mean you support black injustice? Stay with us as we look at this and other stories on the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be dealing with a very touchy subject. But the fact is, is that if we're going to be believers and we're going to be brothers in Christ, regardless of race, we are going to, in fact, I actually only believe in one race. I believe in different ethnic groups, but we will will get to that. I wanted to talk about this idea of ships passing in the night. And the reason for this statement is typically because people can be talking about a subject and talk right past each other, just absolutely right past each other. And I've seen this in all sorts of walks of life. It doesn't matter if it's through sports. It doesn't matter if it's philosophy. When you do not clarify and make clear certain definitions and positions of what you are trying to discuss, what happens is ships just pass through the night. For example, when somebody says, I'm pro-choice, they're not saying they are pro-making choices, okay? Let's define it. When someone says they're pro-choice, that means they are for women to have the choice to murder babies, in the womb. When someone says they're pro-life, it doesn't mean they're pro-life of rapists and murderers. It means typically in our understanding of it, when somebody says it, it means specifically they're talking about babies. I'm pro-life, which means I'm talking about saving the babies in the womb. I will, I've also seen this even in theology. Some people say sovereignty Actually, two groups specifically say sovereignty and mean entirely different things soteriologically in how God saves. Okay, so a lot of times we will be using the the terminology and we will simply be ships passing in the night. This also happens with the word Catholic. We can read in early Christian creeds, Christian before the Catholic Church really existed, And you can read the words Catholic or Holy Catholic Church and think, oh, that must mean the Roman Catholic Church with Papa Francis. No, that's not what it's talking about. When we read in the Apostles' Creed, for example, when it talks about the Holy Catholic Church, it simply means universal. I've even heard people use the word orthodox improperly, and they say orthodox in terms of this is a teaching that's gone on, this is a a pattern of teaching throughout church history, and someone thinks it means the Greek Orthodox or some other orthodox church. Okay, so we need to define our terms when we say it. One of those terms that needs to be defined, and I think it is relative uh, or relevant to the discussion today on this episode is something like fascism, right? 
When you say, are you anti-fascist? I would say, of course I'm anti-fascist. I hate fascism. I never want that system in our government. But if you ask me if I was Antifa, I would also say, no, I am certainly not because I do not want to be represented with those who are Antifa. Because nowadays, when someone's Antifa, typically what you think of is a kid in college whose parents paid for him to go to school, and now, after his parents paid for him to go to school, and I guess didn't pay attention enough to him, he's now an angry anti-fascist while he does horrible things in our community, which is typically what's happening today, literally, in our culture, this Antifa movement that is absolutely disgusting and rot of any true moral code and i have to say that a lot of these you know groups that get together in this way it's not like they're hey we're going to do things in a christian manner we're going to follow the teachings of christ no a lot of these are marxist just like the antifa typically is it's marxism which is rooted in atheism which is absolutely antithetical to the christian movement and so yes i am anti-fascist and yet I am not Antifa. And I would say this as well. And I do think this is something that happens. I Don't get me wrong. Let's not act as though everybody who says these terms means the same thing. Okay? Now, when I hear people say all lives matter to a black, somebody saying black lives matter, that typically to me is them saying, hey, it's not just black people that matter. All people matter. I don't think, in all honesty, on both sides, I don't think when somebody says black lives matter that they mean that all lives do not matter. And I do not think that when somebody, not always, but when somebody says all lives matter, that they are saying black lives don't matter either. I believe that both of those things are ships passing in the night usually. Not always. Sometimes there's prejudices. Of course there is. Let's not lie and act like there isn't. This we still live in a fallen humanity with sinful human beings. So we're it's not like we're, oh yeah, everyone's just it doesn't matter. None of this ever happens. We're not gonna turn a blind eye to it. And we actually need to pay attention to injustices and call them out. And we'll get to that. But I do believe I do believe that ships passing in the night in terms of this terminology and whether or not we believe it. The fact is, if somebody just simply asked you with no no reference back if it said do you believe black lives matter i don't if you can't say yes to that i won't be your friend let alone your brother in christ if you don't care about black lives then i don't want to be your friend i don't want to talk to you i want nothing to do with you in the same way if you said that about any other race whatsoever i don't want to hang out with people that don't care about other people I don't want to hang out with anyone who doesn't recognize injustice or the plight of someone that has been in this country and has has dealt with things that I will never deal with and vice versa. But either way, I don't really want to talk as much about that. I mean, we should all talk about it and it should be brought up. But we're dealing, guys, with a ton of protests and rioting, and I don't believe they're one and the same. I believe there are protests that happen, and I believe there is rioting that happens as well. And I do not believe that they are one and the same. And I would tell you that one of them can be biblical and the other cannot. 1 Peter 4.3 is very clear when it mentions all of the things that non-believers do and the way that non-believers act. And one of them is mentioned as drinking parties, and one of them is rioting. 
revelings, rioting, doing these riots. And so when we see those things, I say that is something that Peter specifically mentioned. We do not practice these things. That's why Nero had to lie about the early church, that they were starting fires while he was lighting Christians on fire in his garden. Because we didn't do these things. Protest peacefully because we should want peace with all men and we should pray for our leaders and do all the things that Scripture demands of us. And that's where we should be. So, yes, I do believe Black Lives Matter. And if somebody wants to have a peaceful protest and say there are injustices going on and they point to the injustices, let's just call it out. I don't care how many drugs George Floyd was on or what crimes he had committed in his past. It means nothing to me when I saw an injustice of somebody putting their knee on his neck and choking him to death. I don't care that some medical examiner said that there was pre-existing conditions. The fact is, without that man standing on his neck, pretty much, I'm sorry, kneeling on his neck, he's alive today. And let's actually, let's just be serious about that. Let's not act like that's even controversial. It shouldn't be. And yes, all four of those officers now, as of today, have been brought up charges on them. We are talking about, this is 5.11 News, so we're going to talk about the news. And there is nothing that is more in the news right now than what is going on, than what is going on in the streets. I live in Simi Valley. I grew up in Simi Valley, but I had a small stint where I lived in Lancaster for three and a half years. And yes, if you have, if you look at the book of Revelation, the last three and a half years is the worst part of the Great Tribulation. Okay, yes. And I would say living in Lancaster was pretty rough. We lived in Simi when I was a younger kid. I was born in 1988 and we moved out about around 1992 and lived there for, like I said, three and a half years. And for us, it was not the easiest. And I can say this, we were the minority in our neighborhood. And I typically was involved with my brother. My brother was getting jumped and I was getting in the fights from a very, very young age. That was the life that we lived. We were in a place where we were the minority group. And so... It was normal for us to get into fights every day. My brother, I distinctly remember, I was in kindergarten, my brother was in second grade, and somebody peed on him, and the principal called my mom and told my mom, we don't want to make this a racial issue. Instead of saying your son got peed on and the kid's going to be suspended, the kid got away from, got away with it. I grew up with my black uncle from Simi Valley, remember, live in, and guys, I know a lot of people look at Simi Valley and they see the Rodney King trial and 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 all this, and they go, oh, it's just this, a bunch of racists. That's that's actually a misnomer. The fact is, is that the Rodney King incident happened in L.A. The fact is that the trial happened in Simi Valley, and two of all of the jurors were even from Simi Valley. So it's not like, oh yeah, and sadly, that's plagued our city with the, hey, that's a racist city. That's and that's just typically how it is. And I will say this. I've asked my mom who grew up. My my mom is an Italian woman with a brother who was half black. And I've asked her about how it is growing up when you're the family and very few people in Simi Valley were black in the 80s and the 70s. And you're the family with the one black kid. And obviously, yeah, it was a little weird. And my uncle lived with me. I loved my uncle. He died a few years ago, got hit by a Mack truck and uh, but I did love my uncle, and he had a rough life. He he dealt with drug addictions, homosexuality, and yet I still loved my uncle, and I didn't absolutely did not care, and it did make me grow up with a different perspective concerning, I, I don't like to call it race, because according to Acts 17, 
there's one race and that's the human race and the fact is is that melanin and the skin and the skin tone in our uh, in our in our skin that doesn't even make up our ethnic group it basically is where you grow up and the bible actually talks about it in matthew chapter 24 that ethnos will be against ethnos and that's the truth is that ethnic groups against ethnic groups and that's exactly what the bible describes will happen in the end times and it's heartbreaking and those are the birth pains it mentions and it breaks my heart but i say all this just to say i have grown up with these these ideas of hey this is how you're treated if you're in this area of town. This is how you're treated in this area of town. And in all honesty, with all that, growing up with a black uncle who I loved, growing up knowing that he did deal with some prejudices that I wouldn't ever understand, growing up with all of that, when I came to Christ, none of that mattered whatsoever to me. And I don't mean that as a put down. I'm not saying, oh, you know what? That means that no one ever dealt with problems no one ever dealt with issues concerning their race that's not true that'd be a lie you'd have to be willfully ignorant to believe that i don't like to go on either side of this political spectrum that somebody on the left will tell you that a black person will always be of the oppressed group and a white person will always be of the oppressor known as critical race theory and james cone the founder of black liberation theology and this i believe has absolutely marred so much of the church, and I do not believe it is biblical whatsoever. I believe that that James Cone, who is the founder of Black Liberation Theology, has done an absolute disservice to the body of Christ. He has hindered the body of Christ from the very standpoint of the gospel. He has hindered the body of Christ, my black brothers and sisters and my white brothers and sisters who have fallen guilty or fallen for this absolute lie of a half gospel message. In his book, The God of the Oppressed, he said, the scandal is that the gospel means liberation that this liberation comes to the poor and that it gives them the strength and the courage to break the conditions of servitude. This is what the incarnation means. Is that what the incarnation means? Actually, we're given what the incarnation means in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves. This is Paul writing from prison. This is Paul writing from prison being persecuted because of being a Christian. And this is what he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, a what? Taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, even those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our example and what attitude we should have in ourselves is that we are bondservants unto God. We never lose that servitude. We don't break free of the condition of servitude. We serve whoever it may be. In fact, we are supposed to serve our enemies. This wasn't to break free the bondage of liberation. 
But the fact is, is that James Cone, who founded this black liberation theology, which I believe is a blight on the body of Christ, has a foundation of understanding theology that led him astray from the very get-go. For it was his belief that theology was contextual to each person's environment rather than transcendent. What this does to the Bible and theology is immediately turn it into a tool at his disposal. And that is what happens, and that's exactly what racist and KKK members did on the other side. In fact, Virgil Walker and Daryl B. Henderson in their podcast show, Just Thinking, they go over this at length. I believe they did a show on uh, racial reconciliation. That is an excellent show. I, I I encourage anyone to check it out. They're two awesome. They're two awesome brothers. We got some difference in sociology, but they have some great things to say in this regard. And I do believe when it comes to this, when you it, it's it's literally stolen Marxism, because instead of it being the rich and the poor like Karl Marx made it, what it does is the oppressed and the oppressor. And it doesn't matter if the oppressor is somebody who grew up in a methodic family in Quartz Hill and always grew up in that family and yet someone else is rich and happens to have a darker color of melanin or more melanin in their skin than that guy does. One is the oppressed and one is the oppressor and guess what? It's not the methodic family, okay? The fact is, is that we see very clearly that all of us have different advantages. I know I have an advantage. When I'm, I, I mentioned that I lived in Lancaster, I mentioned that my family bought a house out there. We lived here in Simi Valley. My parents, my mom and dad lived with my grandfather. We lived inside of their house while I was growing up with my older brother and my dad was working. He was, he did some smog, uh, did smog checks down the street from our house until the guy said, Hey, you got to, you got to charge them for uh, stuff that they don't really need. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to do that. And my grandfather had a friend and he got him a job at UPS. So now he had a good job. So we were able to move out and my dad, my mom and dad got to buy their own house in Lancaster and we were privileged to have that, right? But the fact is, is that our house was robbed multiple times. Our house was graffitied inside of it. And as I said, my family and I, my brother and I were jumped almost every day coming simply from the bus stop to our house almost every single day. That's what I grew up in. My brother and I, I remember us getting our bicycles stolen and us having to literally fight our way to get them back from our neighbors. It, was, it wasn't like it was easy. It was tough. And my parents, who worked really hard to get us that house, to have our own house as a home, as a family, literally had to ruin their credit and walk away from their home to move back to a place where we weren't going to get jumped every day. And that all actually happened. They wanted out. They didn't know what to do. We were kind of just stuck where we were. And for my birthday, my, my sixth birthday... My grandfather, who was a CHP officer, was driving up to come, you know, have the birthday party at my house. And he, he would live in Simi Valley and then drive to come to our birthdays. And his car got surrounded and he actually had to pull out a gun just to get to my birthday. And when he got there, he told my mom and dad, I'm going to figure out a way to get you guys out of here. As soon as I can afford it, I'll figure out a way. And he sold his stock in order to buy us a house down the street. And that only happened because... One day we were walking home and my parents got to a place where they had to pick us up every day because they got tired of seeing the bloody noses and the messed up knuckles and from our fights. And my parents were late to picking us up one day. And so we started walking from the bus stop. And next thing you know, my brother is in another fight like usual. And there's 
an 18-year-old kid there with a baseball bat. And when I go to jump in to help my brother out, he says, you get in there and I'll bash your brains in with this baseball bat. And so my mom pulled up and she chased my short little Italian mom started chasing this young kid the base, who had the baseball bat and trying to steal the baseball bat away from him down the street. And I'll never forget it. And that was, that was the day we moved back. And when we moved back to see me, and the only reason we were able to do that is because we were privileged enough to have family and not everyone has that to get us out of that situation. And this is not something that we look at and we say, oh, well, it's, this doesn't happen to anybody. My wife worked in at-risk youth. She used to stay the night when we first got married at an at-risk youth home for girls that did not understand when she would talk about how they've been made in the image of God, when she would explain to them their worth in Christ if they would turn to him, when he would explain to them that they are imago Dei, they are made in the image of God and that they shouldn't just give themselves out to whoever comes their way. She worked with a lot of, she worked with girls that were at risk and she would come home tell me, telling me these stories that she's like, I can't get it out of their minds that the gang life is not a good life to live. They can't even conceptualize it. They can't in their mind think that this is, that this is not the cool thing that he shot this guy that they their cousin that they know and it was so heartbreaking to hear my wife tell me these stories and it hurt me and i remember thinking i don't want to be on either political spectrum that says that hey this doesn't exist or that you have to believe like this and you can only ever be oppressed because when you are in christ you're a new creation i want to say this Galatians 3 is very, very clear that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no Gentile there, but that's in Christ. There's neither male nor female either. It doesn't mean you cease being a female. It doesn't mean you cease being a male because you came to Christ. You are still in that populace. You're still in that ethnic group. And I pray that at this point in time, if we need to be able to use the gospel, because do you know what the enemy's doing? I wanted this show to be about the founders of Black Lives Matter. Because the fact is, is if you knew what they were truly about, I don't believe as a Christian that you can support that movement. You can try to tie your own thing to it, but same thing with Antifa. I cannot, as a Christian, back up the Antifa movement. I can be anti-fascist, and I am. I can believe that Black Lives Matter, and I do, but I cannot, as a Christian, what I know from reading from the Black Lives Matter website I cannot read from it and say I support it. I cannot do that. You see, Black Lives Matter was started by three ladies, Opal Tometi, Alicia Garza, and Patrice Cullors. Garza and Cullors are both queer, and that doesn't mean, obviously, it's innately evil because of that. But most of, uh, it's not just Black Lives Matter, what they want to do is absolutely, absolutely annihilate the family. They want to annihilate the family unit. This is from the website for Black Lives Matter, blacklivesmatter.com. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. The fact is they want to disrupt the very nature that God had planned for the family unit. 
God wants mother and father to have children and to take care of them. They want the father to work for the children. In fact, it says you are worse than an unbeliever if you do not support your family. The fact is, is that Patrice Cullors is not simply, the, one of the founders of the Black Lives Matters movement is not simply just trying to tell people that Black Lives Matter, but she's trying to push more than that. More than simply breaking up the family, which was, guess what, Aleister Crowley's idea. That's why he has a poem called Public Enemy Number One, The Family. The Family Public Enemy Number One. Guys, this is on their About Me page. This is what they say. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all the world are heterosexual unless he or she or they disclose otherwise. Black liberation movements in this country have created room, space, and leadership mostly for black, heterosexual, cisgender men, leaving women, queer, and transgender people, and others either out of the movement or in the background to move forward with little or no recognition. As a network, we have always recognized the need to send a leadership of women and queer and trans people. As a child, guys, she was involved in the Jehovah's Witness movement and then left that behind. But then she ascribed to the Nigerian divination cult, or I'm sorry, not cult, the Nigerian divination religious system of Ifa. It is literally, guys, a witchcraft system. You go back to your ancestors to get in touch with divinity. And by the way, she did an interview with religious uh, religion dispatches.org and talked about how Black Lives Matter movement uses IFA. This is the this is the religion they want to use to get people involved in the movement. I'll give you a little bit of background from the website. It says, quote, by 12 or 13, I knew that this was not a place for me, the Jehovah's Witness cult, but I felt very connected to spirit. So the question became, what is the place for me? She said she turned to her great-grandmother, who is from Choctaw and Blackfoot tribes, and talked to her about her great-grandfather, a medicine man. Her interest in indigenous spirituality led her to Ifa. For Kohler's, spirituality saves souls. Quote, when we are walking with people who have been directly impacted by state violence and heavily policing in our communities, it is really important that there is connection to the spirit world. For me, seeking spirituality had a lot to do with trying to seek understanding about my conditions, how these conditions shape me in my everyday life, and how I do understand them as a, is a part of a larger fight, a fight for my life. The fight to save your life is a spiritual fight, and what spirit is it coming from? Kohler's herself ends all the events with a, quote, prayer that she recites from a woman named Asata, who is on the FBI's most wanted list and is currently in refuge in Cuba in Cuba after being convicted of murder as well as being charged with different robberies. And it says, this is from the website that she did this interview with, Religion, uh, Religion Dispatches. They say, the work of Patrice Cullors and the Black Lives Matters movement expands the definition of faith base and offers alternative nation, notions of faith, self-care, and wellness as a resistance to disrupt a martyr mentality and heal those within traumatized communities. You see, 
she wanted to get away from the idea that the guys like Malcolm X, who was Nation of Islam, and guys like MLK, who feigned Christianity, and she wants to have push Aoife as the solution. And you see, that is what's going on. What's going on is instead of telling people we need to come to Christ and need to have a new heart, we're not getting any plans given to us. We're not getting anyone saying, hey, let's throw these protests and say, we need to fight for injustice because I'll stand side by side with you to fight injustice. What we need to do is look at this and say, there is a spiritual problem in this country and Aoife, this witchcraft, will not solve it. And I will not go hand in hand with witchcraft. I will go hand in hand with those who will fight with Jesus alongside of them and saying, we need to recognize our brothers in Christ and do exactly the revelation that Peter had to have where God came to him three times in one dream to explain to him that Gentiles can be saved, those that were different from him. And the fact is that same Peter repented of that and had these words to say in the beginning of 2 Peter when he talks about two Gentiles when he says, you received the faith of the same kind as ours. The fact is, is we have a Jesus who died for every single one of us. And if you decide to push these narratives and push Jesus to the side and say, I'm going to fight for these things and leave Jesus on the backside, you are going to lose. You're starting from a lost position. But if you say, I'm going to fight for injustices and I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus Christ and I'm going to bring the gospel to every one of those, whether they're a racist, whether they're they're the ones be having the oppression put on them. I am bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them because it's the only thing that saves and it's the only thing in the end that will matter. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.